Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Jeff Billard from Sonic Echo and you're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome back to Chronosphere Fiction. I'm your host, Daniel French. This time we're giving Gafgarn a break while Jeremiah French continues to write episode number five. We bring you a new story of happy household drama from Blake Benlin called Monday through Friday at the Smith Residence. Be advised that this story carries some adult content. Please remember to support Chronosphere Fiction at patreon.com slash chronosphere. Send your questions or story submissions to chronosphere-fiction at cox.net. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. And now... Monday through Friday at the Smith Residence. A drama in five acts by Blake Benlin. Characters. Barbara, 40s, a housewife. Represses her emotions. Four months pregnant. Frank, 40s. Her husband, former military man, current teacher, detached and dispassionate. Randall, 17, their eldest son, a jock on the outside, full of self-doubt. Graham, 15, their middle son, an artist, quiet, reserved, slightly effeminate. Albert, 13, their youngest son, a troublemaker, charismatic, intelligent, no filter whatsoever. Susan, 17, Randall's girlfriend, less shallow than she appears, independent. Carlisle, 40s, Frank's younger brother, charming, amiable. Tessa, 12, his daughter, willful, free-thinking, libertine. Setting, a wholly ordinary suburban household, October, 1984. Act 1. Scene 1. Lights up on the Smith residence. Monday. On the first floor is a small foyer, including a staircase, a kitchen-slash-dining room, and a living room. Visible on the second floor are two bedrooms separated by a hallway, one belonging to Randall, the other to both Graham and Albert. They share a bunk bed. Frank sits at the head of the dining room table, reading a newspaper, from which he rarely looks up. Barbara hurriedly sets the table, having prepared breakfast for the family not long ago. A digital alarm clock goes off in Randall's room. A bell alarm clock sounds in the room shared by Graham and Albert. Have you seen the cat, dear? Frank doesn't seem to hear her. Randall turns off the alarm clock from his bed. Graham climbs out of the bottom bunk and silences the clock. Frank, I asked if you've seen Rosie anywhere. Hmm? 
Oh, a couple days ago. Albert, it's seven. <sighs> Albert moans and rolls over, resistant. Randall drags himself out of bed and gets dressed. I think she might have run away. You're going to be late. Don't care. And Albert's so attached to her. We can buy another. Graham gives up on Albert and starts to get dressed. He won't be happy. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't the boys be up soon? It's just, Albert's so very troubled. Don't be silly. It's Graham. No, no, Graham's just a bit shy. You know that he's a very sensitive young man. Mm-hmm. By now, Randall is fully clothed. Grabbing his backpack, he exits his bedroom and heads downstairs. Barbara, having set the table, takes a seat. You haven't touched your breakfast, Frank. Frank begins picking food off of his plate with one hand, still clutching the paper in the other. It's very good. Randall enters the dining room. Morning, son. Morning, Dad. Morning, Mom. Good morning, Randall. You gonna be at the game Friday, Dad? Oh, I guess. It depends on whether I've got to work late. <clears throat> I'll try, son. Barbara clears her throat. <clears throat> so, will Susan be joining us for dinner again anytime soon? She is so very nice to have around. I don't know. She's been acting kind of weird lately. I don't know what her problem is. You're just going to yell at me for not getting you up. Graham nudges Albert. Come on. Without warning, Albert, throwing aside his blanket, leaps from the top bunk and pounces on Graham, pinning him to the floor and punching his face with both hands repeatedly. Graham is helpless. One floor below, Frank, Barbara, and Randall hear the commotion upstairs. Oh, dear. My money's on Albert. <laughs> Albert decides that Graham has had enough and climbs off of his brother. He returns to his bed and to sleep. Graham, more ashamed than hurt, gets to his feet, retrieves his backpack, and makes his way downstairs. I wish they wouldn't fight. Boys will be boys. Al's a little psycho. Ugh, Walter Mondale, what a joke. Soft on the Soviets, and everybody knows it. Soft because he's no different than them. Yeah. It's just like my pop said when I was a boy. It isn't the commies in Europe or Cuba that you have to fear. It's the ones right here in the United States of America. Graham, embarrassed and disgraced, enters the dining room and finds a seat. Oh, Graham, honey, are you all right? Yeah. What's it like getting your ass kicked by your little brother all the time? Randall, please. Sorry. You don't look very sorry. He didn't mean anything by it. Oh, Graham, I'm sorry. It's okay. No, it's not. Barbara stands with purpose and marches toward Albert's room. Shortly after she leaves the dining room, Randall snickers at Graham. The three then eat in silence. Barbara bursts into Albert's bedroom and goes straight for her sleeping son. She shakes him awake. Get up. Wake up. You'll be late for school again. Do you think it's acceptable to treat people like this? Your own brother. All right, all right, I'm up. Barbara, still fuming, backs away and allows Albert to scramble out of bed. He throws a few articles of clothing on begrudgingly. Brandy, have you seen the cat? I don't know where you learned to behave like this. Certainly not from me. Yeah, yeah. Don't you dare give me any lip, mister. Albert, all you do is screw up. When is it going to end? Gee, I really don't know, bitch. What did you just say to me? Nothing. I heard you, Albert. Well, if you heard me, then why do you need me to say it again? Just get your ass downstairs, now! Barbara storms out of the bedroom and makes her way to the dining room once more, regaining her composure on the way. 
Albert follows her, a few steps behind. Not a word is spoken until Barbara and Albert take their seats at the table. These eggs are really good, Mom. Huh? Oh. Thank you. The family eats in uncomfortable silence for a time. How's your new painting coming, dear? Um, fine. Maybe you'd have a girlfriend if you didn't spend all your time up there. That's not very nice, Randall. Hey, Graham, I'm really sorry for what I did. I didn't mean to hurt you. Albert? The boy's just trying to apologize, Barbara. He's making fun of him, Frank. He's not apologizing. Mom, it's okay. See, he forgives me. Thank you, Graham. I promise it won't happen again. I don't want to hear another word from you until you get back from school, Albert. All right, Mom. Randall finishes his breakfast. He picks up his backpack and heads for the door. Later, Mom. Dad. Have a good day at school, son. Barbara, still shaken, merely waves goodbye. Randall exits the house through the front door. Is there anything you'd like to say to your youngest son? Albert, you know your mother doesn't like any rough housing indoors. Albert nods and offers an apologetic shrug. What have you been painting? Well, <laughs> I don't know if it would make any sense. Please, Graham, I'd like to know. Well, I don't paint things, really. I paint ideas. Fascinating. And what idea are you painting? I'm trying to paint love. Albert snorts. Barbara slams her fist on the table, causing even Frank to look up. Message received. Albert returns to his breakfast. That sounds like it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, we'll see. Albert wolfs down what remains of his food and dashes off. Bye, Dad. Have a good day at school, son. Albert leaves the house. He forgot his backpack. He'll be okay. How's school going, Graham? Fine. Making any friends? I guess. Of course he's making friends. He's going to be the next Picasso someday. I'm sure you'd make some friends if he joined a team. Your uncle was keen on competitive wrestling, you know. He was even the... But of course we aren't all athletes. I'm just saying if the boy were fit, maybe he could find himself a girl. Somebody nice like Susan. You can't rush the kind of love that Randall and Susan share, can you, Frank? Why, you were five years older than Graham is now when you met me, now weren't you? And the moment you met me certainly wasn't the moment that you fell head over heels in love with me. No, it was another year before you tired of... What was her name? I've forgotten. Besides, Graham is a very handsome young man, and I've no doubt that there are girls aplenty who would count themselves lucky to be his. Wouldn't you agree? I suppose. Graham finishes his breakfast and, putting on his backpack, makes for the door. Have a good day at school, love. I will, Mom. Graham departs. Barbara inhales deeply and begins clearing the table. Will you be working late tonight? I might. Again? I said I might. You don't know? No, I don't. And why not? Because sometimes I have stacks of papers to grade and sometimes I don't. Because sometimes I'm mighty goddamn busy performing the various functions of my job. There are undeniable variables to this equation, Barbara. Undeniable, yes. Are you accusing me of something? Am I? What could I possibly accuse you of? I was wondering the same thing. Maybe you can tell me why I'm being interrogated. You're overreacting. Of course I am. And that's that? That's all you're going to... Are you still talking? Barbara faces him head on. I can smell it on you every single time you come home late from work. Anyone could smell it on you, you reek. 
And what's so wrong about a God-fearing, tax-paying American enjoying a couple of drinks after a hard day's work, huh? We both know how you drink away all that hard-earned money of yours, of ours. We're having a fourth child, Frank. A fourth. How could you be so careless? Now who's overreacting? A couple of beers is no goddamn crime. It's not as though I get sauced, come back here and smack you around, and believe me, I have reason enough. How dare you? How dare you say something like that to me? You know, you're nothing but a lifelong alcoholic, just like your pop. You're no man at all, and you're certainly no father. I'm not going to listen to this. And what is the man of the house going to do? Hit his pregnant wife? Frank takes a deep breath and makes an effort to calm himself. Barbara, I'm trying to be patient with you. I truly am. We've been over this before, time and time again. The things I did in the war, the things I saw, it's nothing anybody should be asked to live through. I've got to calm my nerves. By now, Barbara has all but broken down into tears. That's no excuse, Frank. We need you. We need you to be here for us. Don't you understand that? I do. Of course I do. I've seen what it does to you. It's not going to be like that. I've got a handle on it, I promise you. Frank, $50 are missing from my purse. No, I've taken nothing from you. Oh, Frank, how I wish I could believe you. You can. Look. Frank reaches into his pocket and produces his wallet. He then hands Barbara $50. Here, here. The money's not important to me. I don't care. Did you take the money? I'm giving you this money now. You don't have to believe me. Just believe that I want you to be happy. Our children depend on you. I know, Barbara. I'll never forget that. I sincerely hope you don't. I should get to work. Just do me one favor. What? Don't work late tonight. Frank smiles. I won't. Frank approaches Barbara, takes her face in his hands, and kisses her lightly on the lips. I'll see you later. Barbara affectionately places her hand upon his cheek. He puts on his jacket and makes away. Once Barbara is alone in the house, she takes a seat at the dining room table and bursts into sobs. Blackout. Scene 2. When the lights again illuminate the household, Barbara is vacuuming the living room. Before long, the front door swings open. Into the house step Randall and Susan, who appears rather ill, the former gently escorting the latter. We'll get you set up in the living room. Randall leads his girlfriend to the living room. Barbara, who didn't hear the two arrive over the sound of the vacuum, instantly catches sight of Susan as they enter the room. She hastily switches off the vacuum and approaches her, concerned. What's the matter? Susan, you poor thing, what's wrong? It's nothing. She got really sick in Lewin's class. They sent her home. Thought I might as well bring her here. Barbara places her hand on Susan's forehead, checking her temperature. Hmm. No fever. I think it was just something I ate. How are you feeling right now? Just a little dizzy. I'll be all right. I'm sure. But just to be safe, you best lie down for a while. I'll go make you something to eat. Something easy on your stomach. Thanks a lot, Mrs. Smith. Not at all. You rest now. Barbara makes her way to the kitchen and proceeds to prepare a bowl of soup whilst Susan lies down on a couch. Randall takes a seat in a nearby armchair. God, I'm so embarrassed. Right in front of everybody. Don't worry about it. Half the class was asleep anyway. And the look on Lewin's face. It's not funny, Randy. 
Susan sighs and covers her face with her hands, exasperated. The way everybody was looking at me, like I'm diseased. It's not like you could help it, right? Hey, no one's going to care by tomorrow. And someone's going to have to clean it up. Could have been worse. Could have come out the other end. (laughs) That's disgusting, Randy. I don't want to hear that. Listen, if anybody gives you any shit, I'll turn them inside out. You're not helping. (sighs) She sighs again. I just need a little time to rest. Prolonged silence. Randall stands and steps over to the couch. He lovingly runs his hands through Susan's hair. Hi. Hi. Sorry if I'm being a jerk. No, you're not. You're just being you. But I'm not feeling like me. I noticed. Is something up? Everything all right with your folks? Susan inhales deeply and sits up. Randy. Whatever it is, you can tell me. But that's just it. I don't know if I can. Why not? You trust me, don't you? Yes, I do. So tell me. It's not that easy. It can be if you make it. Hey, look at me. Nothing you can possibly do could make me love you any less. Susan thinks hard. No, no, I can't. Come on, Sue. She stands and walks to the other end of the room. I can't even say it to myself. I don't want to say it. Maybe I could say it if you don't want to. What? What are you talking about? I think I know what's going on. You do? Barbara re-enters, bowl of soup in hand. Here you are, dear. I- Barbara senses that she is interrupting and, without another word, sets the bowl of soup down. Hurrying from the living room, she sees to chores that need to be done in the kitchen. You know? I know. And I forgive you. What? I don't... What do you mean you forgive me? I heard. About you and Mike. What the hell are you talking about? Sue, it's fine. I heard about you and him. You think I've been seeing Mike behind your back or something? I thought... I thought that... You bought that bullshit locker room gossip? So it's not true? No! Mike's an asshole! Well, the, 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 way, the way you were talking, I thought... It, it just sounded like... This is why I can't tell you. You don't even trust me. Sue, I'm sorry. I, I thought... No, you didn't. You haven't been doing any thinking. The way you made it sound, it... Of course, I didn't want to believe it. Did you even talk to Mike? What? No, I... Why didn't you go turn him inside out, huh? Or me? You just want to feel good about yourself, is that it? By forgiving your girlfriend for screwing your best friend? Sue, please, listen to me. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I was stupid, and you deserve more. I know you haven't been seeing anybody, but I'm a jerk sometimes. And I guess it's tough to believe how a girl like you could want to be with somebody like me. Susan thinks it over, then smiles. Oi, you are full of shit. Susan returns to the couch and invites Randall to sit next to her once more. He complies. And you're not nearly as big of a jerk as Mike. That's good to hear. I didn't mean to blow up on you. I'm sorry. Like I said, I haven't been myself lately. No, no, you don't have to apologize. And whatever's going on, you tell me when you're ready. I won't bug you. Thank you. Randall leans in and steals a kiss. Hey, Mom wants you to stay for dinner. What do you say? Sure, Randy. Blackout. Scene three. Dinner time. Frank, Barbara, Randall, Graham, Albert, and Susan all sit at the table. Their eyes are closed and their hands are joined. Barbara is saying grace. 
We thank you, Lord, for this meal we are about to receive and for the good health and prosperity you have so generously bestowed upon this family. And we thank you for the bonds of family that tie us eternally to the ones we love and who love us in return. Amen. Amen. They dig in. Don't eat so fast, Albert. You'll choke. I'll be fine, Mom. Well, people, I think now is as good a time as any to make this announcement. I heard from Uncle Carlisle today, and he and Tessa are coming to visit us on Wednesday. Well, isn't that lovely? They'll be staying through Thursday and leaving Friday morning. Do you boys remember when your uncle and your cousin visited last? Yeah. Must have been ten years ago. Albert, you were probably too young to remember. Yep. As I recall, Tessa had just started talking. What a cute little thing she was. Do you remember your Uncle Carlisle, Graham? Mm-hmm. What took them so long to come back? Things have been hard for Carlisle. His wife passed a couple years ago, and he and Tess have had to move a few times. But sounds like he's finally gotten himself settled. Good, good. Won't he be impressed to see how you've all grown? And Tessa, she's almost a young lady now, I suppose. It'll be nice to see them again. Very. Do you think he still talks about the government all the time? That's just his quirk. He's always talked like that. Besides, there's plenty to be said about the government these days. I tell you what, when it's my turn to say grace, I won't forget to thank the Lord for our President Ronald Wilson Reagan, the only thing standing between that government of ours and we the people. Amen. 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 Shame you won't be able to vote next month, Randy. I'll survive. <laughs> Not if the Russians have anything to say about it. How fortunate that there are no Russians at this table, then. So, Susan, how have you been? Oh, Fine, Mr. Smith. That's not what I heard. Randall and Barbara both shoot Albert a look. I heard they were mopping up your breakfast before second period. Ugh, you are disgusting, Albert. I'm disgusting. Dad asked her a question and she lied. You better shut your big mouth, little man. That's not appropriate dinner conversation and you know that. Well, Graham's the one that told me. No? Randall punches Graham in the arm. Ow. Randall, you're not helping. Look what you've caused. It's not my fault, Randy's stupid. Go to your room. If you can't be bothered to mind your manners while eating, then you must not be very hungry. Frank? It wasn't nice what you said about Susan, Al. Hey, I don't blame her. If I were her, I know I would hurl every time I remembered who I was dating. You're begging for it, man. Go to your room right now. Unfazed, Albert leaves the dining room and proceeds to his bedroom. I'm so sorry for that, Susan. It's okay. I guess the word's out. Don't listen to him. He's a mongoloid. He's very headstrong. So it would seem. You see, Frank, Susan was sick while she was at school, but of course that's no fault of hers. No shame in that. As a matter of fact, Carlisle shit his pants freshman year. Never let it get him down. Randall laughs and Susan smiles. Frank! Just trying to lighten the mood. Well, I suppose we can make an exception for that noble cause. Frank and Barbara exchange smiles. They eat in silence for a short while. Could you pass the salt? Graham, daydreaming, doesn't hear her, his eyes fixed on his plate. Graham? Graham is awakened from his trance. He looks up at Susan, surprised to hear his name coming from her. She smiles warmly. Uh, sure. Graham extends the salt. She takes it from him. Thank you. Albert, who has been lying in bed until now, hops down onto the floor and steps over to a covered easel in the corner of the room, Graham's artwork. He removes the cloth which conceals the canvas. The painting is abstract and fiery. 
Albert crosses his arms, as if evaluating the painting. Love. He stares at it for some time. Ultimately, he decides to cover it once more. Blackout. Scene four. Susan has gone home, and the Smiths have gone to bed. The house is dark, save for the orange glow of streetlights seeping in through the windows. Graham, you awake? Yeah, what do you want? I just wanted to say I really am sorry about making Randy hit you. I don't like that Neanderthal any more than you do. I don't care about Randy. I, I took a peek at your painting earlier. What did you do to it? Nothing. Just looked at it. <sighs> oh. I like it. <sighs> well, thanks. That's love, right? What do you care? I I'm not messing with you, Graham. Yeah. That's love. How long have you been painting it? Like a month and a half. When will it be finished? When it's complete. When it's perfect. I don't know when that'll be. That's cool. Do you ever sell your paintings? No. But I give them away sometimes. Do you ever, like, take requests? Requests? Yeah, like if someone wanted you to paint something for them. Why? Do you want me to do something for you? Yeah, actually. What? I want you to paint me a big, hairy cunt. What? Have you ever seen one, Graham? Would you know what to paint? Albert, I... I could describe it to you. I saw one today. You're really gross, Al. Just listen to me, would you? Do you know Melissa Perry? I think she's a sophomore. <sighs> she's in my English class. I told her that I'd give her 50 bucks if she'd go out in the woods behind the school with me and let me see what I wanted to see. I don't believe you. Where would you even get 50 bucks? From mom's purse. Anyway, she took the money and we went over by the orchard. And she dropped her skirt. She let me take her panties off. Then she spread her legs. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> what are you so squeamish for? I didn't even get to the juicy details. Maybe if you painted a cunt, you could call it a self-portrait. I'm going to sleep. Me too. And I'm going to dream about Melissa's cunt staring me right in the face. Picture that in English class tomorrow. Do you think she'll let me fuck her for a hundred? Mom doesn't like you. And Dad doesn't care either way. I know that you can tell. Graham's words button Albert's lip. They both turn over and go to sleep. Blackout. Whew. The Brady Bunch it is not, folks. Monday through Friday with the Smiths was written and narrated by Blake Benlin. Barbara was Janice Scanlon. Frank, Paul Cantor. Randall is Antonio Denunzio. Graham is Will Gearing. Albert is J. Dean Garcia. Susan is Mackenzie Jensen. Production sound effects and music is Daniel French. Blake, Dean, and Mackenzie are also part of a Fishbonious podcast known as The List Game, a conversational improv game. Be sure to check it out when you get a chance. Next week, we'll either be bringing you the next part of this story, or we'll be bringing you Gafgarn, working on them both. Keep your cosmos clean. Not adjust your sets. You're tuned to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow on Mutual is Thursday Thrillers, our roundup of action, adventure, mystery, crime drama, and thrillers, of course. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of diverse audio tales. Or find the Thursday Thrillers feed in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.